Hello, and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing The Capture of the Earl of Glencray by Stephanie Lauren. This was published in 2012. It is the third book in the Sinster Sisters series, the 18th book in the Sinster series, and it is batshit five ever. <laughs> you know, the thing was, uh, we usually have our little, you know, subtitles for the Sinsters. Batshit in Scotland, batshit this, batshit that. The ones for the last two have been batshit with kidnapping. And mm-hmm. I was like, I can't have it as batshit with kidnapping number three. But that's what it is. This book is, and we've talked about this in the review of the last two books, the same guy kidnapping three sisters for the same purpose. And the revisionist history in this one was chef's kiss. It is amazing. All right, let's read the book jacket, Lane, because um, I love this book jacket. Three heroes, three rescues, three weddings. We joyfully request your attendance at the wedding of Miss Angelica Sinster. But not until she and her hero confront a devious enemy and lay to rest an ancient grudge in the Scottish Highlands. Headstrong Angelica Sinster is certain she'll recognize her fated husband at first sight. And when her eyes meet those of a mysterious nobleman across a candlelit ballroom, she knows beyond doubt that he is the one. But her heart is soon pounding for an entirely different reason when the hero abducts her. The eighth Earl of Glencray has no choice but to kidnap Angelica, the one sinister sister with whom he hadn't wanted to tangle. But to save his castle and his plan, he must persuade her to assist him, and he's prepared to offer marriage to seal the deal. He has no choice but to kidnap Angelica. Okay, Lane. No choice. I loved the wording there specifically because they get in a weird fight in the middle of the book about choices and whether uh-huh. or not they have a choice. Uh-huh. And it is literally the stupidest thing I've ever read on the page. And I say that with all of the love. I mean, to be clear, this series is real bad. But it is also real sinister which makes it just a joy to read honestly it is if you add the two page totals for the first three books it's close to 1500 pages yeah and if i had to total up the number of pages that contained something akin to plot or new information i would say it's under 200 yeah so random numbers lane yes as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50, and then we wrote our own summaries using that number as the word count. Uh, this week, that number is 16. So I will start. Evil mom advice. Listen to ensure your son actually rapes the child of your husband's ex. This is very important advice. It's also, like, the only thing in the whole book that is plot. Basically, yeah. So, Meg, what was your 16-word summary? I mean, okay, to be clear, as Lane said, this is the only plot point in the entire book. So it is also the focus of my summary. To win back your ancestral lands, 
You just have to engage in some exhibitionist role play. Duh. Obviously. Obviously. Like, but my favorite part about this entire series. Yes. Is that every choice that the, the protagonists make is presented as being so obvious, so clear. <laughs> like, this is the only thing that these people could do. That's, that's how Stephanie Lawrence, the author, presents the plot. If you think about it, there are literally dozens to hundreds of other choices <laughs> these people could have made. And my other favorite thing is the sinsters are so of the ton. They're so well-known. They're so protective of each other. They're so protective of their women folk. And even upon getting all of that information, her cousins and brothers respond with, yes, this was the obvious choice. And the whole mystery relies on them being idiots about the peerage. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Oh, my God. It's so stupid. I love it. So, as you may oh recall, I also love that this book jacket starts with a summary of the whole series. Yeah. Because the whole, like, this is not a unique, none of them are unique books. No. No. The, each so, book we, follows the exact same plot. Yes. Almost the exact same plot. This one has a very slight twist at the very end. But basically what happens is each sister is kidnapped. And taken to Scotland and then rescued by her quote unquote hero. Yeah. Except the hero and the kidnapper happen to be the same person in the final novel. Yep. So it was clear in the first. To clear is a tough word. Sorry. <laughs> it was made apparent in the first two books that the hero wanted the women in Scotland. He did not want to sully his good name or hands getting them there. But actually but, doing it himself. He managed to keep himself a modicum of honor by not actually kidnapping them. But also the revisionist history is that all he wanted was to talk to them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which... Like, risking keeping women drugged and traumatized, they're not going to be inclined to cooperate? Like, part of the way he gets Angelica is they're just in a ball. Yes, he does some light trussing her up like a turkey. But then he comes and gets her, like, an hour late. Like, he doesn't actually put her through the trauma of, I don't know, being drugged by a crazy killer on the road yeah. for a week. I mean, like, all... Only one of her other sisters was drugged, okay? That is 50%. <laughs> yes, it's true. One third of the sinister sisters were drugged on their way to Scotland. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, I know that's the most obvious sense <laughs> in the world. But his whole master plan of, like, my goal was to talk to you, to convince you to help me. I knew it would be, like, insane at face value. Mm -hmm. So I figured abduction was the best way to do this my my other favorite part about this book this book specifically is that he he kidnaps her so he actually abducts her from a ball yeah and then he just takes her to his townhouse in london it takes over 100 pages for them to actually leave london yeah Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, this series, 
I do not understand how she got away with writing the series because, like, I'm not kidding you. The first, this book was 400 pages long. 486. It's 500 pages long. Okay. It's it's a long book. And, like, the first third, like, 150 to 200 pages is them making plans. Like, okay, we have 30 days and it's going to take us 10 days to get to Scotland and 10 days to get back, which means we have 10 days in the middle to convince my mom to somehow give me this goblet. It's literally as boring as watching someone make a bullet journal. Look, I love planning vacations. It is one of the joys of my life. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding. I love doing it. I do not love seeing other people do it. Yes, exactly. And that's what they do. It's, Crippling. So I would say the biggest trope here is Scotland mm-hmm. because all of the drama and the obvious justification for all of the actions he's taken are clan stuff. Clan stuff. Hashtag clan stuff. Yeah. Like this is, this is a full hashtag clan drama Scotland novel, <laughs> except yep. like you get the impression that if this was actually written in the period. This would be the way an English person wrote about the Highlands. I mean, yeah. And that's not to say it's stereotypical. Like, there's no mention of tartan. There's no mention, like, it's just, like, clearly this more rustic and rugged and untamed man because Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, Scotland is a, yes. And then the other thing is, like, all of the justifications for what he's doing is based on the clan drama yes clan is so important blah 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 and of course she understands because the sinster family is like a clan yes and i need i have more things to say about that specifically Mm -hmm. but so he this is minor spoilers because this is what he tells her in the very beginning but as usual with the sinister stuff we're going to go all over spoilers abound these books are yeah. old, so, like, so read them if you have it. a problem with this. Sorry, guys. Turn it off, because we just can't help ourselves. So, he claims his family has in their possession and ownership a missing part of the crown jewels mm-hmm. that people in London are desperate to obtain to curry the prince's favor. hmm And his father had leveraged this goblet, which was the missing piece of the crown jewels, for financial assistance saving the clan so many years ago. And this is where you get to trope to, like, Will's shenanigans. That, Mm -hmm. like, they got all this financial assistance, but the goblet didn't actually change hands. For, okay. Five years? Yes. So basically, he made this, his father made the deal when he was alive. Mm-hmm. But part of the deal was they wouldn't get this goblet until he died, number one. And number two, five years had passed. And what they held in collateral were the deeds to all the properties. To everything. It makes no sense. It makes, let's be clear here, it makes absolutely no sense. And also, I can't believe that this guy waited five years. Just take them. The, as soon as your dad dies, just grab that goddamn goblet and give it to them. If it's, if 
there's nothing, there's no reason for the weight. No reason whatsoever. And it's not like the clan uses the goblet. It's not important to them. It's not important to him at all. It's not like he has any grief about being separated from it. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. And it's, so it makes absolutely no sense. And there's a little tongue in cheek moment at the end where one of the six original Barsinster members who is good at contracts or whatever is like, I need to see the writing of this. Gabriel, my favorite. (laughs) I remember exclusively Devil because he's the one in charge and Richard because, oh my fucking God, witches in Scotland. Richard Scandal, yes. (laughs) That's it. The rest of them, don't really remember. So it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. So no. now the, with like six months left to go until <laughs> the goblet had to be returned, his evil mother. And I'm sorry, evil and crazy. Mother. Gets the combination to the safe holding the goblet and steals it. Yep. Because... Her husband, who she was not in love with, let's be clear, was once engaged to be married to Angelica's mother. Yep. Angelica's mother threw him over for Angelica's father. Yep. There was no real animosity there, Mm -mm. except Dominic's crazy dead father. Crazy. And we're using the word crazy because I'm not kidding. This is the word Stephanie Lawrence uses. Crazy. Crazy dead father became obsessed with tracking Angelica's mother's every move, obsessed, like commissioned drawings of her daughters. Like, like I don't think Stephanie Lawrence fully articulates in the book just how fucked up this is. He basically has like paparazzi stalking them and sending the pictures back and did for like 30 fucking years. Mm-hmm. And so to get revenge on her dead husband, dead husband. Dominic's mother decides to force him to ruin and ruin one of the daughters of her ex-husband's ex-fiance. Or dead husband's ex-fiance. Dead husband's ex-fiance, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, for some reason, again, this is just the of course, the obvious way. To ruin the lives of one of the daughters in the mother's mind is for him to kidnap the girl and bring her to Scotland? Yeah. And he decides the only honorable way to do that is to make sure she consents to her kidnapping? Well, he's like, I'm going to marry her. Once I get the goblet back, she won't actually be ruined because I'll marry her. But he also was like, I'm going to tell her that that's my plan and return her to her family unscathed if she disagrees with it. Except this is where the major revisionist history comes in. Because the first two sisters being put in a carriage for a week and fucking kidnapped would have already been ruined by the time they got to him. I know. Like, he's, it, he doesn't get an honorable pass. It's not like he saved them from scandal by forcing them to endure the trauma of that I, kidnapping. I mean, and like I said in the second book, because the first book, you don't you get a little bit from his perspective, but not quite as much as in the second book. In the second book, he's like, Ugh, I'm gonna have to do this myself. And it was more honorable to keep it at arm's length. And that just makes no sense to me. No sense. To me, it in in most historical romances, 
the whole idea of honor is it's like more honorable for me to do it myself. If I have to do it, I should be the one to do it, you know? Yes. Yes. And I'm like, how is it more honorable to like hire a criminal? But whatever, you know what? Uh, Who am I to quibble with Stephanie Lawrence? And like lock them in basements. Mm -hmm. It it all makes no sense. Okay. So other um, real trope here, because again, this book is identical to the first two in the series in like every way that matters. Mm -hmm. So Angelica is the baby sister. Yes. And they made a big deal about how she's 21 going on 25. And I just was cracking up because I'm like, those are the same. I'm sorry. I know. I was like, 21 going on 25. I was like, there's no... If they was a 21 going on 45, okay, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But But 45 is not a hot age. I mean, that's the problem. (laughs) So she's, she's the baby sister who, like, has everyone wound around her, wound around her little finger and like gets what she wants and is sort of a firecracker and doesn't take no for an answer to the point that upon realizing she's gone missing, all the women in the family are like, she clearly orchestrated this and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, if uh, Angelica was kidnapped, it's because she wants to be. <laughs> and the mother, Angelica's mother at the end of the book literally says, I trained my girls well. If Angelica hadn't wanted to be kidnapped, she wouldn't have been. <laughs> I mean, talk about victim blaming, but the opposite, victim elevation? I don't know. Yeah, it was super bizarre. It's so weird. It's just really weird. And they they really emphasize the fact that her name is Angelica. Which I, it, Mm-hmm. He's like, your parents picked a name that really suited you. And I'm like, that's not how it fucking works. <laughs> it does in Finsterland. You name a fucking baby. Also, like, I wouldn't describe her as angelic. Well, that's the whole point is that it's like ironic. He doesn't think it is. I mean, he thinks it's too. It's, he, he is both. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> and there is a near-death experience. Specifically, that moment you've seen in every action movie where one person's laying down and has the arm stretched out while someone's falling over a cliff and barely saves them. Mm-hmm. And they fight about, you have to let me go and save yourself. And no, no I'll never let, let you go. go. Yeah. <laughs> Except the one. Physically, it makes no sense. Because Angelica, this is like the opposite of Gentleman Jackson's because it's not about his brawn or strength. She is described as having like no muscle tone other than from writing. Right? Like, she describes herself as weak at one yeah. point. When she's got to clobber a guy over the head with a rock. Um, and yet she holds this man who is notably bigger than all of the sinster men, one-handed while over a ravine. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I was a little confused. I, I could not picture it in my mind's eye either because there was, like, a rock involved and, like, a lever. And well, and all confused. eight of the sinster men, which now include the fiancés of Angelica's siblings. Duh. There's, like, several pages describing how they set it up to pull him out that made no sense to me. I still don't understand it. Like, I read those passages several times being, wait, like, how, wait, how? Still and don't. there's a rock or something? I don't know. Yeah. I, I still don't get it, but I, sorry we just spoiled the end. <laughs> Again, we make no bones about the fact that we do that with Sinister Books. Yeah. So, I mean, as usual with the Sinister Books, I think we just go from the beginning to the end for you. Yeah. So the beginning of the book, and actually, 
we didn't talk about this, but kudos to this book jacket. Because usually with the sinister book jackets, they just don't make any sense at all. (laughs) It actually happens that way. She's actually at a ball thinking, I wonder when my hero is going to show up. I'm wearing the magic necklace. It's only a matter of time. She sees this guy across the, the ballroom and she's like, he's the one I can tell. My other favorite part of this is part of the reason all the women in her family are convinced she's complicit is because one of the younger cousins is like, yeah, she's definitely wearing the necklace. And they're like, oh, well then. <laughs> Clearly yeah, she yeah. found her hero. So she she catches the one of her friends and she's like, hey, introduce me to that guy. And he's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they walk across the room and she introduces herself. They chat. She's like, she literally is like, why don't we waltz? And I was like, damn, Angelica. And he's like, I can't waltz because I hurt my knee a long time ago. But we can walk on the terrace. And she's like, okay, let's do it. No, she says, oh, well, then go for a walk with me on the terrace. (laughs) They go out on the terrace. And then he picks her up, throws her in his carriage. I, like, I hadn't planned on kidnapping you tonight, but you came out here alone with me. Like I said, such victim blaming, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so tosses her in the carriage and then he goes back into the ball. To That's his alibi. Mm-hmm. My other favorite part about this is that she's in the carriage, trussed up, yeah. and she thinks to herself, I was so sure he was my hero, but he kidnapped me. How could my hero kidnap me? (laughs) And And then you would have been skimping on your romance novel reading, girl. (laughs) Also, she spends this hour thinking about that and concludes before he even comes back to untie her that the necklace isn't wrong. She's not wrong. He's her hero. This must be more complicated. She already forgives him for his methods and the kidnapping of her two siblings. They need to talk it out. There must be a reason for it. Because again, that's the obvious conclusion. I'm like, you knew this person for 30 seconds. Uh-huh. You are currently tied up in a carriage and don't know what's happening. And you've come to the correct conclusion because to you it is the only logical one. It's like, no, bitch, if I'm trussed up like a turkey in a carriage, I'm not trusting the dude is coming back. I'm running for my fucking life. I don't care uh-huh. if I thought he was hot as hell 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's just so funny. So then he takes her to his house where he does sit her down and explain everything. This is where you learn about the goblet. Yes. And the zero makes zero sense. But whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'll help him out. That sounds good. And she's already like, I'm going to. He he's like, we're going to get married. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I agree to help you with your plan, but I don't agree to marry you. And he's like, what? He's like, he's like that meme where the lady's like, huh, it does not compute. What, huh? And my favorite part is this goes back to the old, this is a sinister trope. She decides that she knows he's her hero. She knows they're going to get married. She knows this plan means they're going to have to get married. And she even says this to him. But mm-hmm. she is withholding her consent, even though that is the inevitable outcome. Yes. He's like, okay, this, this logic is fucked up because she wants him to love her before yes. she agrees. Yes. Because if they get married without him admitting that he loves her, this will condemn their marriage 
to I don't even know what. Like it it makes zero sense. But it's, it's not explained it's, at all. It's the sinister trope. Like this is And if the you're wondering of a sinister novel. If he says I love you before she agrees to marry him, unclear. Because she has a whole logic one morning after particularly excellent sex, which she describes as making love, that no, this is it. And now she knows she loves him. And so she's going to consent. But she doesn't actually tell him that she's telling after him. he mm-hmm. says the words, I love you. Yeah. Which props to Dominic over Devil, who, as far as I'm aware, has still never told his wife that he loves her. No, he he did in one of the books we skipped over. <laughs> There's a whole thing in it. It's crazy. I think it's either Amelia or Amanda's book. <laughs> I just wonder how much wine Stephanie Lawrence is drinking as she writes. I, she has enough money to drink whatever she wants. Correct. That's what I have to say about that. Because just following this narrative of like when saying I love you versus meaning I love you. I absolutely can't. Okay. okay. So they're in Scotland. And I mean, not Scotland. No. They're in London. He's explained this whole thing. I was she's like, they're not, not in Scotland for no. a long more She's time. agreed they're not going to run away. And this is when the hundred pages of um, drawing up your schedule happens. Oh, my God. You guys. And the she decides part of their schedule needs to involve her pretending to be a boy. Yeah. Which you may recall happened in the last book. Yes, it did. Indeed. And so you go through the part from the last book. Where he's really obsessed with her button pants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they walk around London. Practice, she's practicing to be a boy. Yeah. They do all this stuff. They go, they go to the theater in the pit. Mm-hmm. And she's all squished up against him because, you know, it's jostling down there. And she feels his erection. Yeah. Oh, my God. And yeah. then she's like, we better get out of here because we're just really attracted to each other. My other favorite thing is he's he thinks in that moment that they need to be careful or people are going to see right through them and realize she's a woman. And I was like, that's, I mean. Because he's turned good. on. And I'm like, or they'll think you're a tutor fucking his pupil. Right. The more obvious answer is she is what she appears to be in this moment, a boy, and you are turned on by him. Yes. Doesn't cross his mind. So virile. So heterosexual. I, I, I mean, again, this is the sinister world, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it is so heteronormative. I don't think that gay people exist. I agree. In the sinister world, like I, they just don't exist. It doesn't I, it? Doesn't exist. Absolutely. So, like, so I don't think, uh, like, thinking about the world, I don't. I don't think there's ever been a part where they refer to anyone like preferring men or anything like that. There was a part in the first book where, um, what's his name, Charles, mm-hmm. mistreated prostitutes, but they were women. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess this is the most damning with faint praise thing I could ever say. It's not that Stephanie Lawrence like makes the villains the queer people because there are no queer people. It, I mean, it is like total queer erasure. Yes. Completely total. Completely Literally, total. Literally, he thinks she will be ruined because they will realize she is dressing as a boy before he thinks it's possible they will think he is turned on by a man. 
Mm-hmm. So then this is where to fill up, you know, pages because this book clearly needed to be 500 pages long. It starts flipping back and forth to giving you POV scenes from her family debating about whether or not she consented to her kidnapping with no evidence other than two notes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Another part of the book that I just like loved was um, when they were like, oh, it's an intimate family gathering and there would be like 15 people in the room. Yes. And there's after they finally leave London, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but her family goes to inspect the house. Mm-hmm. And again, are able to discern that he didn't mistreat her. She was never tied up. Um, the notes were written by her hand. They had staff with them, and they've left for Scotland, based on the fact that the house is clean. Yeah, they're like, oh, and they they're like, oh, this was the room she was held in. If she wanted to escape, she could have. <laughs> yes, but the, I just love that, like, no evidence she was tied up, and I was like, or they took that evidence with them, or they drugged her the entire time. Yeah. Nothing. They just immediately there. Everyone comes to the most immediate and quote obvious conclusion based on absolutely no evidence. Yeah. I mean, it's anyway. (laughs) So they they spend a lot of time planning the trip. Yeah. Talk about the timeline. They talk about what they're going to do and where. Like they do a little bit of making out. A little bit, but not not a ton. And like not not a ton. It's a long stretch of time with no making out. Because I remember I was like. Okay. Well, because he gets really mad that he had an erection. Mm-hmm. So then they have a sexually charged dinner where she runs away. Mm-hmm. And then the next night they make out a little. Yeah. So they go on a trip. And on their trip, they're like, we're going to go to Edinburgh on the way to wherever. His, his holding in the Highlands. Yeah. And... She's like, oh, I'm going to order some dresses. I bet you know some dressmakers. As in, I know you're so virile, you must have had mistresses in Edinburgh before. <laughs> this is also the part where you start, again, because they needed more content, flashing to his mother in bed with her lover. Yeah. <laughs> oh and you learn his evil mom didn't concoct the scheme to exchange the goblet for his sister's virtue herself. Her mystery lover. Yeah. His identity is not disclosed for 400 pages. Well, and the, was the, the mastermind, too, but she, she didn't tell him where the goblet is. Lawrence does this thing where she sets up this mystery. This the identity of someone is a mystery. And you're like, oh, I wonder who it could be. Who can it be? Who can it be? And then at the end, it's someone you have no idea. Like there's no red herring. There's nothing. You when you find out the identity, you're like, well, who the fuck is that? It's, I think those scenes literally just exist for some pretty gross ageism yeah. because you're in the villain's head and he's like, uh, I guess I have to keep fucking this gross old lady until she gets up the goblet. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. So they get out of London and it takes them for, okay. So we spend forever in London. Like each night is described. This happened, what book she's reading, what they do. It's like so boring. And then they finally get on the way to Edinburgh, and it kind of skips over a lot of the stuff from England to Edinburgh. Yeah. Then they get to Edinburgh, and she's like, hmm, I guess I could be the queen of Edinburgh society instead of London society. This is just as good. You know, basically you're in her head, and you're like, what the fuck, Angelica? (laughs) And this is also the part where she starts thinking about, okay, we need to have sex. Now, <laughs> she, she just is like, we have to have sex before we get to the Highlands. 
because um, I need to know that we have that trust established Mm -hmm. in order to convincingly be your victim. Because he's like, I really, he doesn't want to do it, right? It would. He's like, I want the air to be clear. I want like us to be done with the drama. Yeah, it it would impugn his honor if he did it, which again makes no sense. He's literally kidnapping her, but whatever. My they also is- share a room the whole time on the road mm-hmm. <laughs> for no reason. But you don't get and you don't get to hear much about it, which is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, so then she's like, No, we have to have sex before we get there. Yes. And he's like, No, I don't want to. And then she's like, Let me logic you into having sex. Yes. And she very logically explains why it needs to happen. Now, keep in mind, she's a virgin. Yes. She's never had sex. She has no idea. But she's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but once we have sex, we'll actually feel more comfortable around each other because right now the unresolved sexual tension is crazy. And he's like, oh, I hate to admit it, but this virgin is right. <laughs> And he's like, you convinced me. We have to fuck. <laughs> and I feel like a different romance author would have really emphasized that, you know, we know we're going to have sex. We know we're a partner. And I really want to do this before it's tainted by the drama of what's to come. Yeah. No. What Stephanie Lawrence chooses to emphasize is the logic. Yeah. And. I mean, talk about, like, the most ham-handed foreshadowing of all time. Yes. Angelica's like, we have to have sex now in case we have to have sex later to convince your mom I'm ruined. Yes. Now, I don't think this is going to happen. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. We're just going to do it just in case, but don't worry, it won't happen. Yep. What do you think is going to happen, guys? Yeah. FYI, read our summaries. There are two things that happen in this book, and both are so heavily foreshadowed. The first is, obviously, he has to ruin her while his mom listens. And the other is, there is literally one, like, place described at his estate. And it's these cliffs with this, like, waterfall. And uh, they go with the boys one day to explore. And he describes in great detail how dangerous the whole thing is. And you're like, oh, cool, this is where the final showdown's going to (laughs) happen. Don't ever go here. It's so dangerous. Blah, blah, blah. We're like, "Uh uh-huh, I wonder what's going to happen. So they get to the castle at this point, and right before they get there, they decide to tell everyone in the whole clan about their plan to fake her being kidnapped, even though she was really kidnapped. Except for his mom and the steward, McArdle. It's fine. Because McArdle is her swain. He's not actually fucking her, to be clear. Never has. No. So the, the the whole clan is in on this goblet nonsense, knows how much it means, and knows that she is their lady and they defer to her in all things. She is his countess, but that she's going to pretend to be like a meek, mild victim. Mm-hmm. So they get there. Mm-hmm. They try to convince his mom she's ruined. Mom doesn't fall for it. Because <laughs> she's, I mean... That's the thing, too. He's like, look, she's crazy, but she's not stupid. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. This well, the other so thing problematic. is, like, they admit the whole time that they don't know what she means by I want to see a sinister girl ruined. Mm. 
It's like, you haven't spent any of the last six months trying to get a definition there, bud? Yep. You kidnapped three women now. Three women. Without understanding what you actually had to do with them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem honorable. That's right. (laughs) It's so dumb. Oh, but it's great, though. So anyway, show up at his place. um, And, oh, my God, it's so funny, too, because they go through this entire like floor plan of the castle the castle looks like this my mom spends her time here which means you can be here and then she won't see you if you only walk around over here she'll think that you're locked up the whole time and you're going to be locked up in the tower that has a secret passageway up to my bedroom that she doesn't know about because even though she's lived here for over 30 years she was not interested enough in the clan to understand the castle where she lives. As is logical. Yeah. <laughs> My God. I'm sorry. Just like, it's so stupid. It's so funny. And I'm going to be completely honest. I was a little bit bored with the beginning of this book. Okay. Yeah. This was Stephanie Lawrence at her purplest, prosiest. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so convoluted that it's, like, hard to follow and not in a way that, like, usually where I'm, like, what the fucking every five seconds with, like, how is this real? But with, again, like Meg said, you're watching someone plan a vacation and there's, like, 50-page planning interludes and you can't even follow them. Mm -hmm. So I I have to admit, by the time they finally get to the Highlands, I was like, okay, something is going to happen. And it does finally happen. She's literally been, like, hanging out at this castle for, like, a week. Now, remember, they've only got, like, (laughs) 10 days. Okay? So we've gone through the timeline. We've only got 10 days for her to be at the castle before they have to turn back around and go back to London with with the the goblet. (laughs) So she's hanging out with his mother. And the mother's just like the whole time, like it turns out that what she's been waiting for is something to appear in the papers about how Angelica Sinster has disappeared. Yes. And Angelica's like, your mom doesn't understand how high society works because my family would never allow that to appear in the papers. So we've got to figure out some other way for her to think that I'm ruined. What could that other way be? I just need to pause here. They make a point that his mother does not know anyone, has no friends, doesn't talk to London, doesn't talk to Edinburgh, just hides out in this castle with no one to talk to by herself constantly. No one suggests a fake paper. Mm-hmm. This is one mm-hmm. of the many really obvious alternatives to the stupid-ass plan they come up with. But I just need to point it out here because this is particularly dumb. It's really dumb. <laughs> okay. So she's like, okay, I remember how I thought it might be on the outside. Maybe we'd have to uh, convince your mom that we had sex. Right? Yep. She's I like, do well, all that. we're going to have to use that last ditch plan. 
So she does this whole act with his mother. She's like, oh, oh, thank God. She's like, the only thing that could really ruin me, the only thing that would really upset my mom, because, of course, she wants to get revenge on her mom. The, the, his mother wants revenge on her mother. For reasons. She's like, the only thing that would upset my mother would be if I lost my virginity. And his mother is literally like, oh, great. I am going to tell Dominic that he has got to rape this girl. Yep. And she's like, this is even better because I know that Dominic thinks he's so honorable. (laughs) He's not going to want to do this. So she's like really happy. She's gonna. Oh my god! The whole thing is just well, and, and she's like, I'm excited that I'm forcing him to renege his honor, so I can lord this over him for the rest of his life. <laughs> Be like, okay, rapist. Every time they have a fight, it's so weird. Uh, so anyway, here comes both the best part of the book and the most problematic, <laughs> which is that. Oh my god! He's like, fine, I'll rape her. I'm going to do it right after breakfast and lunch, lunch, Meg, excuse me, right after lunch, <laughs> you can't watch the mom like wants to watch. Yeah. He's like, you can't watch, but you can listen. <laughs> yep. So you need to come to this part of the castle at this time, right after lunch. And I will rape her for you. Yep. And his mom was like, okay. This sounds like a great idea. And he calls the steward, who's the only person in the castle not in on the plan, to be witness to this deal because that'll make her finally give up the couplet. Well, I think he wants, yes, he wants the steward who still has a little bit of loyalty to the lady of the house to see just how fucked up and messed up she is. Right, but why they think this actually works as a plan is unclear to me. I mean, it just does because it's a sinister book. Yeah, okay, keep going. (laughs) So he grabs Angelica's arm, yanks her into his, um, her room, slams the door, and then they role play her getting raped. He, like, rips off her clothes. He, he, she, like, yells. They, like, do it. They're like, we gotta just scream as loud as we can. He pricks his finger and, like, puts blood on her to make it look like she lost a virginity. (laughs) Well, and, I mean, it's like, because he, oh, my gosh. Okay, guys, this is gross. I'm just going to say it because he cuts his finger and he smears it with the seed that is on her legs. What? Yep. And like on the one hand, I guess it's kind of hot. On the other nope. hand, it's, no, it's really not. gross. It's, it's just totally that one. Disgusting. It's just that one. So they finish role playing the rape, and his mom is like, I don't have the goblet, but I have embroidered a map <laughs> <laughs> to give you. Let me go get it. So she goes to get it, and at this exact moment, all of the sinister men arrive. <laughs> all the sinister men arrive, and her lover arrives. Yes. They all arrive at the same time. 
Yes. And he turns out her love. Okay. Spoiler alert, guys. The lover is some guy you've never met before. You have no idea who it is. <laughs> the neighboring Laird who, I don't know, apparently, and no, no one even knew that there was a feud. Or right? that she had a lover. No one knew any of it. Yeah. That's so funny. <sighs> so while they are trying to deal with the sinister threat by, they actually, it's actually really funny. They actually dumped them in the boat. Yes. I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Um, The lover is going after his mother and kills her. Yep. But sees the map and goes after the goblet, but doesn't take the map. No, he doesn't see the map. She told him, I think. I thought he saw the map. She dies with the map crumpled in her hand. Yes, she does. <laughs> and um, okay, so it's actually this is not a disagreement. You don't know. You, don't you know. have no idea. This is not described on the page at all. It, that's true. So they get up there, and he's like, "Uh oh, <laughs> uh, we gotta go after him." But we just like, how do we get out of the castle? Oh my god, the whole thing, the whole thing. So at this point, they literally just pull the map out of the hand. He gets, she gets delayed going after the evil guy because the steward was also stabbed and is dying. (laughs) And he gets delayed going after the evil guy because her family starts beating him up. (laughs) And then she runs past them beating him up. And instead of like trying to stop it, she's just like, guys, the real villain is this way. She just keeps running. So she starts to confront the final villain by herself. And this is somehow presented as like feminism. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Anyway, the ending happens as we previously described. And then there's a sinister family reunion. And that is this book. Ta-da! The funerals are described on the page because obviously anyone even tangentially connected to the villainy. So like the steward died and you learn that he's the one who gave the mom the safe combination six months ago. (laughs) Right. So like, Everyone must either die to pen- like for penitence, and you learn he n- learns they succeeded right before he took his last breath. Yeah. Or the evil people are just conveniently dead. Mm-hmm. Also, um, we kind of skimmed over this, but their horses are also faded mates. <laughs> yes! <laughs> they are. Oh my god, I almost forgot about that part. <laughs> it's real good. Man. Um, so, you know, this book makes no fucking sense. I think we need to talk about the specifically sinister trope of what family, or in this case, clan, means. Mm-hmm. Like, some people get married, mostly all the people who are main characters in the book, and the spouses automatically become one of the clan. Right. But when it is convenient, a la the evil cousin from the first book, who was more like his mom's family, mm-hmm. or now his mother... You learn that they were never really family. We're never right. really clan. Right. But like in this part, it's so weird because his mother wasn't really clan, but she did produce him. Yes. And usually biology is destiny in the sinister books. Because but both of his parents sucked. And it's to the point that they have to justify it in the text. Yes. And 
the, um, Angelica's mother asks him like who he favors aesthetically and personality wise, and they determine it is his great his grandfather grandpa. because yeah, yeah, yeah. he is a true Highland laird, and yep. all of the good genes skipped two generations. Yep, and I'm like, you better be careful with your kids, boy. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, as you heard, there's a lot of problematic shit that happens in this book. A lot. Yep. Yep. Okay. So be aware of that before you dive in. That said, this is a sinister book. So you should know that already. Like the general level of misogyny is high. Mm-hmm. Not in terms of anyone treating, but in terms of like, like the old fashioned, oh, haha, we're all being managed by our managing wives. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, like, they love their wives and they allow themselves to be managed, and yet they also don't. Right? Like, they're like the wives are literally like, don't go after Angelica, okay? Just don't do it. And we if they think hadn't... she plotted her own kidnapping, which doesn't make sense, and you might actually be right in going after her and being worried, but, but don't. you're in the wrong now. And the thing is, like, they weren't wrong, because if he had, if they hadn't done it, then... She never would have been in mortal danger. But they also saved her from mortal danger. But they also saved her from mortal danger. It's bo- it's a both and. Both, yeah. Also, and just general trigger warning, rape as revenge. Except she's not raped, but they fake her getting raped, and his mom is real fucked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, to me, the really the biggest issue. Because all the rest of it is, I'm almost just like, well, you know, it's a sinister, so like. It's the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the really crazy part is the fact that they are called crazy. Yeah. Right? And I mean, yes, she obviously has issues, but this isn't, like, this isn't, it's just not real, you know? Yes, it's a sinister book. Well, I know, but I mean, to me, that's the biggest issue is they're like, she is crazy. So that's why she's doing all this stuff. And you're like, well, no, that's not, you know? Yeah. Um, just in terms of general sexiness, here's the thing. There's a lot. There, They have a lot of sex. They do. But I would not describe this sex as sexy. Yeah. I mean, the, the highlight of the book is this role play rape. Okay. <laughs> Which I think really just that's what you're getting right and on the one hand like I I I, thank god it's not a real rape right right and I kind of get like why it is interesting to read and why people would want to read it right because you don't want to read rape but you you know you want to get that feeling or whatever I thought she did a really weird job trying to make a rape fantasy in a way. Yes. yes. She does a lot of like prep work of this is not real. They're both going to be in on it. It is not rape. But then you're in her Angelica's head right before like everything gets initiated and she's actually scared. Right. Kind of. Yeah. And upset. In a way, and it was just, it sort of tried to have its cake and eat it too about like writing a rape fantasy without writing a rape fantasy. And I'm like, why did you have to write a rape fantasy? But I mean, that's exactly what she wanted to do. It was, it was yeah. a rape fantasy. 
Um, so, I mean, if that is interesting to you, you might want to check this book out. That said, it's like almost 500 pages to get to that point. Yeah. But like, this is definitely, I've said this about Stephanie Lawrence before, and this sort of happens in a less fun way, where her sex scenes are so bizarrely written that I don't actually know what's happening. Yeah. So like, there's the whole like, and in that moment, they were ones, merged body and soul, but then you find out like he hasn't entered her yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, like that's usually a euphemism for having sex, but I guess it's not here. Like, it's all just so like prosy that you don't actually know what's happening. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Except for and the first sex scene. That is like graphic and makes sense. The first sex scene, I was going to say, the first one, you're like, okay. And then the next ones are like, oh, I just feel this and that. And you're like, uh, no. Yeah, correct. I don't get it. And I, I mean, as you know, if you have listened to us or if you have read a Stephanie Lawrence, part of the appeal of the Stephanie Lawrence is the fact that she writes these ridiculous, ridiculously long and detailed sex scenes. Yeah. And that just is not part of the, um, it's not part of this book, which is 500 pages long. This book sort of, the joy I derive from it is the banking on just the sinsteriness. Yes. It doesn't, like, we joke, and I know I go back to my favorite of all time, Scandal's Bride, mm-hmm. which is two and a half books shoved into one. Right, exactly. This is like a third of a book spread out over three books. Right, exactly. So you exactly. really have to be down for Stephanie Lawrence is a weird-ass writer to enjoy these. Yeah, yeah, you do. But, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Do I enjoy reading these? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's because, like, if this is where I started with Jeff and Stephanie Lawrence, I don't know that I'd say that. Does that make sense? I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you here. Like, it's the, if you've bought into the bat shittiness of the, the bat shittery of the bar sinister, seeing all of that play out in different ways has its own, like, I'm snuggling with a good blanket feeling. Yeah. The, the original Bar Sinister, like, more happened in those books. Yes. That's that's the biggest issue with the Sinister Sister books, is that not a lot happens. Yes. Which is weird for books about kidnapping people. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, we loved it. We're obviously... Someday, we have to take a little bit of break sometimes with the Sinster books. We will be back to the Sinsters. This is kind of it for now. (laughs) So thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet anywhere you can find plot trusts.